I was in Yosemite for a pastor's conference at Wawona campsite. And the park ranger came and, and warned us that, well, you are in Yosemite, a national park, and you are here in the place where wildlife is everywhere. When you are um, eating, when you have some things like food, please place the food in the bear-proof cans and do not leave food in the car. Or when you throw away food, please don't just throw it away in the dumpster. Make sure the dumpster is closed and they you know, told us all that thing. And the park ranger came and said, you know what, <clears throat> there were some group of people that came and didn't listen to us and they just left the food out there in the, in the like a box or in their car and guess what, guess what happened? <laughs> Bears came looking for the food and they found food. And he also went on to say that in other campsites of Yosemite, <laughs> bears came, they found food in the containers and they opened up all the food and they went through like the chicken, the bacon and whatever, sausages, and they had a feast. And what else they found? They found beer cans. <laughs> and they would like, they would crush the cans and they would drink it and like, oh, what is this? And they went through every single can. They loved it. They got drunk. <laughs> and guess what? After that time on, every time the car comes, they can smell food and they will go open up. I mean, if, if you lock your food inside the car, they will tear open the cars and they will find it. And they will go looking for beer cans from now on. <laughs> and here are some pictures that I want to show you of the um, of the bears. See, like, this is not the exact picture, but I just found these online. But they will go through your, your food containers. And actually, they will actually tear apart a car. It's, it's very easy for them to do that. And see, they're like, if you are picnicking, and they will go like, okay, that's my food. <laughs> Move on. Otherwise, I'll, they will like, okay, if you leave food in your tent, yeah. They'll go for that. And this is actually a beer bottle <laughs> the bear is going after. <laughs> so that's, that's what happened. And I, I was, okay, I'll, I'll make sure that I have nothing, no gum or nothing in my backpack or in my tent. I shared that because we'll be talking about bears today. Um, <clears throat> there, in the Bible, there is a story of two she-bears or taking children, or taking a lot of children, actually. So we'll talk about that story. And I'll read from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 22, 23 and 24. It says, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bold head, go up, thou bold head. And he turned back and looked on them, and cursed them in the name of, name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tear forty and two children of them. What do you think about this story? Have you ever thought about what this actually meant, and what happened? Why God would allow bears would come out and tear forty-two children? That basically made fun of Elisha. Is God too cruel 
what, what, what can we make out of this story? What can we learn from this story? Why would God allow the bears would come and some, some other version says mild, the children. Um, some say tear apart. Some say well, it's hurt them. So what, 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 can we, what can we learn from this story? So we'll be spending some time today studying, examining what this Bible text talks about, and we'll look at the context, and we'll compare it scripture by scripture and, and see what we can learn and uh, what it is. Actually, <clears throat> I shared this sermon because, you know, a few weeks ago, I talked about Elijah and Elisha, how he... Um, how he, Elijah went up to heaven and Elisha received a double portion of blessing. After that story, Joseph, um, Stacy, and Jason came up to me. Well, they, they asked me this question. So, Pastor, what do you think about Elisha and the story? And wasn't God too mean when he said he allowed the bears to come and attack 42 children? Was, wasn't God just too, too mean? then. So it's like, okay, let me study it out, and then um, I'll share. So that's in response to their question, actually. And uh, by the way, this study is not just my own. Um, I'm, I've studied other people's information, other people's articles and commentaries, including Dr. Elizabeth um, Mitchell, and a state Bible commentary and other commentaries as well. Now, the background of this story is that in the Second Kings chapter 2, Elijah went up to heaven, just like we talked about before, and Elisha takes over uh, after Elijah. And this is soon after, soon after, the same chapter, basically. And Elisha um, goes to Bethel. Bethel, what do you know about Bethel? Bethel is first known by who? Jacob. What, what does Jacob do in Bethel? He's running away from his, his brother who wants to come and kill him for stealing his um, birthright. And he runs away to his uncle's house and he sleeps there. And at night he has a dream and he sees the ladder stretched up to heaven and God gives him the promise, I'll bring you back. And he wakes up the next morning and says, you know what, God, thank you so much for being with me. And he names that place Bethel. But that's in a good side of the story. But the other side, uh, Jeroboam, the first king of northern kingdom, he became the king of northern tribes, and he turns Dan and Bethel into the center of idol worship. He sets up a counterfeit altars, and he, he brings golden calves in those places. So Bethel becomes the center of idol worshiping place. And eight kings and many dynasties later, this place becomes the center of commerce, uh, center of the basic, like the, the prospering city, and also idol-worshipping place. And at the same time, what, do you, what else do you know about Bethel? Elijah went to visit Bethel just before we, he went up to heaven. Why did he go there? Does anybody remember? Out of, I mean, he went to three different places on the same day, that he went up to heaven, but Bethel is one of those places. It's because school of the prophet, one of the schools of the prophet was there in Bethel. So yes, Bethel is the place of idol worship. At the same time, there is a group of God's people that are 
faithful to God and the theology school of God is also there in Bethel. And that's where this story takes place. <clears throat> and Elisha becoming the new prophet, Elijah is already known. His name is well known in that whole place, and everybody knows Elijah. The fire came down from heaven. There was three and a half years of famine, and the rain came down, and he healed people, and he resurrected someone. So everybody knows Elijah, but who is Elisha? I mean, I don't know him. Like, this, this guy, I hear this guy has bald head, and he's a young guy. He, he needs to prove himself. Nobody knows about him. When we talk about like those big time preachers like Billy Graham and other people, like you know, famous people, everybody knows. But who knows Joshua? Joshua Bay, like young young preacher, young pastor, nobody knows him, right? <laughs> so people need to know, oh, you know, I need to listen to him, I need to see some kind of proof that he is actually the man of God. So that's what happened to Elisha. And he's there in Bethel. And as he's passing there, right outside of the, the, the city limits or outside of the city, the, the city of Bethel, and some, according to the King James Version, young children came out and mocked him. And what did they say? <coughs> Said, well, you bold hell, you bold head, go up. Go up, you bold head. What does that mean? It gives us some clues. Bold head means Elisha is bold. If you look at, if you study the Hebrew word, that actually means he is bold in the back of his head, not the whole head, just the back of his head. That's what it means. So he's bold. Um, but, you know, uh, in Israel culture, that was considered as uh, some kind of blemish. Let's say if you couldn't see well, or if you... Um, if you are lame or something. It was considered blemish. And in the Israeli culture and also as well as Roman culture, that was considered a blemish. So that's not in our culture, but in their culture, yes. So they were making fun of something, something very like natural, something very, uh, I guess, something ordinary. But at the same time, they said, bold head, what? Go up. What does that mean? Because Elisha just shared with everyone that what happened to Elijah? He went up to heaven in the chariot of fire and in the whirlwind. He went up to heaven. And did people believe him? No. They said, you know what? <clears throat> How many people saw Elijah going up to heaven? It was just Elisha, there was nobody else. 50 people from the school of prophet went there, but then they didn't cross Jordan. And Elijah and Elisha crossed over Jordan, and they walked in a little bit more, and that's when Elijah went up, was caught up into heaven. He ascended to heaven. Elisha came back, split up, opened the river Jordan, came back to 50 people who were waiting. And Elisha told them that Elijah went up to heaven. And the, whole, the word spread, and everybody said, you, you know what, maybe he got caught up by the wind and God threw him somewhere in the mountains or in the valleys. Let us, 
Let us send some men to go search for Elijah. Who knows that he's maybe somewhere out there in the, in the mountains. So Elijah said, no, don't send people out. But they urged him so much, Elijah said, you know what, just go ahead. Go ahead and try. They went out, searched in search for him for how long? Three days. Three days. <clears throat> they didn't find him. And Elisha said, you know what? Didn't I tell you that you, you don't have to send people out? So what does that tell you? Do people believe in Elisha's word? No. They said, oh, I don't know if you are the prophet of God. We don't believe what you say. So they didn't really believe him. And that shows in here. They're saying, oh, if Elijah went up, why don't you go up too, you bold head? That's basically their, what they're saying. So they're making fun of Elisha. They don't believe him as a prophet of God. At the same time, they're not believing in what? Elijah either. Elijah and his ascension. He's making fun of the prophet of God and God himself and Elijah as well. That, my friend, is a blasphemy against God and God's prophet. That's exactly what they were doing. The Bible says little children. <clears throat> and the picture that we have in our mind, little children, you're thinking about preschoolers. Like five-year-old, seven-year-old, or maybe nine-year-olds come out and says, Hey, Elisha, go up to heaven. Go up, you bald head. That's what we're thinking. Right? That's what we're imagining. And bears come out and it's like attacking them and maybe killing some of them. Maybe that's what we're imagining. Oh, that's terrifying. How can God do that to little children? Now, let's study what the Bible says about the little children over here. <clears throat> the Hebrew words for the little children in 2 Kings is this. Katan. Katan is little in Hebrew. This word katan means small in quantity or size or in number or age or status or importance. Now, the usages in the Bible of this word katan is this. <clears throat> Remember, Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And when Jacob went... And, and wanted, fell in love with Rachel, like, uh, uncle, I love her. Can you give her to me? And Laban says, <clears throat> Leah is older, Rachel is younger, she's a baby. And that's when this word is used, Katan, Rachel. Now, how old was Rachel at that time? We don't know exactly how old she was, but was she old enough to marry? Yes. Can you imagine five-year-old getting married? No, that doesn't make sense. So <clears throat> this word katan can be used to describe little children, but at the same time, it could be used as someone like Rachel, who is marriageable age. Benjamin, the younger brother of, of um, Joseph, um, you know, and also Jacob's 12 sons, was a grown-up man. <clears throat> now, Joseph uses this word katan to describe Benjamin because um, he is a ba baby of the brother, of 12 brothers. But what happened is that when Joseph, excuse me, when Joseph was um, 
betrayed by his brothers and sent into Egypt, sold as slave, and he spends, when he was sold, according to the Bible, he was 17 years old, and he spends 13 years serving his, his master, Potiphar, and he was thrown into jail, interprets the king's dream 13 years later, and he becomes the prime minister of Egypt 13 years later. Seven years of good years pass by, and two years of famine pass by. That's when his brothers come and visit him. So 22 years passed, meaning how old is Joseph right now? Do your math. 17 years, 22 years. Yes. 39. So Joseph is 39 years old. And Benjamin, the Bible doesn't tell us the, the age difference between Benjamin and Joseph, but <clears throat> he's somewhere between 20 and 30. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I'm good now. So he's somewhere, he's younger than 39 years old, but he's old enough to be, if you read on the Bible um, here, uh, Genesis 46, 21, it says, Benjamin is the father of 10 children, father of 10 sons. Now, can you imagine seven-year-old becoming the father of 10 children? That doesn't make sense. But Joseph uses this word, katan, to call his younger brother, Benjamin, um, this word, when he is the father of 10 children. Okay? So this word, oh, thank you. This word, katan, could mean young in size, small in quantity, number, age, or status as well. Because this word is also used to King Saul. Now, King Saul, when he, became, when he was, um, when he was um, anointed as to be king, when he was anointed king, was he a short guy? No. He was tall. As a matter of fact, he was taller, a head taller than everybody else. But his status, so it says, Though you are little in your eyes, though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tribes of Israel. That's what the Bible says. So you are little in your eyes. His status is shorter. He's saying that, you know what? I'm the youngest. I'm not qualified to be king, but he's a head taller than everybody else. This word katan is used. So how should we translate this word katan when the King James Version Bible says little children? The word children in King James Version is ne'ar, ne'ar. And this word could be used to describe a boy or a girl or a servant or a young man. A word covers from infant to a young adult. Saul calls David ne'ar when he went to fight Goliath. Now, was David a little boy? Yeah, only a boy named David. He's a little boy. If you see the picture, he looks like he's, what, 10-year-old? He's a little boy. And Goliath is a giant. He's a big man. But this word, ne'ar, could be described to, could be used to describe a little boy, like a 10-year-old, like a toddler. But at the same time, the Bible says, David had already killed what? A bear, a lion, 
he's a grown-up man. You can't imagine a seven-year-old going fighting against a, a, a bear or a lion. He's already a young man. Probably uh, 18 or 20, somewhere, we're guessing somewhere around that age. Joseph, when he was 17 years sold to slavery, he is also called Nayar. Isaac, when he was offered as a sacrifice, again, the Bible doesn't tell us the exact age of, of Isaac, but scholars think he was somewhere between 20 to 28 of year, eight years of age. Absalom, when he rebelled against David, he slept with his father's concubines, and he drove David out. David calls his son Absalom Nair. So, what is this word? What's the age, appropriate age, that we should call this little children in the Bible? And the combination of this word together, katan and nar, in the Bible, there are a few instances where, few, few places where the Bible uses these two words together. King Solomon, when he asks for wisdom, these exact words, katan, nar, is used. Now, was Solomon a little baby when he became king and asked for wisdom from God? He says, I'm a little boy. Give me wisdom to have wisdom to rule your people. That's what king said. And Hadad of Edomite, he flees from Solomon's kingdom and marries Pharaoh's sister-in-law in 1 Kings 11, 14, and 17. This exact word, katan near, are used. So what do we make out of this? When King James Version Bible says, little children came out and mocked Elisha and God sends out two bears to, to hurt them. What do you make out of this? Is it little children like preschoolers that we see? Probably not. We can imagine that people that the Bible is describing or the scene that we can, if we can repaint it again, these are not little children. These are probably young men in their 20s or 30s or even 40s. They came out, and they're making fun of Elisha. And when they said, you bold head, go up, that bold head is just uh, ordinary, just making fun of somebody, but go up. Is there any kind of theology, theological understanding mixed in it? Yeah. So when they say, you go up, meaning, yeah, we heard about what you said. We don't believe what you're saying. And they're making fun of that. So most likely it's not little children making fun of Elijah, Elisha. These are grown-up men of their own understanding. They, can, they know what's right and what's wrong. And they're making this judgment upon, them, upon him. And Elisha turns around and curses them in the name of the Lord. Wait, wait. Didn't the Bible say, you shall not, thou shall not use God's name in vain? Didn't Elisha just break the Ten Commandments? Elisha knows the Bible. I mean, the Ten Commandments was given in the time of Exodus. Now it's Second Kings. So they know the, the law of Moses is already given. Why is Elisha using the Lord's name to curse somebody? Isn't that sin? What do you say? How did God 
respond to Elisha. When Elisha used the Lord's name to curse these people, God responds to Elisha saying, okay, I'll send two bears out. I agree with you. So was Elisha mocking God's name when he said that? No. Because they were making fun of God, Elisha is, Elisha is basically putting God's judgment upon them by doing this. He's not using God's name in vain because God responded to what Elisha said. Now, if you and I were to do this without understanding the whole thing, we may use God's name in vain. So be very careful when you use God's name. But in this case, it definitely was not against the Ten Commandments. So verse 24. So did they die? Did 42 young men or children, did they die? The Hebrew word for that is baka, or um, baka. This means to cleave, to divide, to break. This word is used in the Bible to break open the mountains, the city walls, dividing the Red Sea, splitting wood, breaking bottles, making a way through a line of soldiers, and etc. and etc. So when the when the Bible translations translators use this word to to uh, tear or to mile the children, what does it mean? What happened? What happened? We don't know. We don't know what happened. Maybe there were funerals. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe they got scared. We don't know. Because this word is very vague. We don't know. But <clears throat> I, I tend to imagine this in this way. It could have been some, some men over there could have been killed. Some. Because bear attack can be can be like critical yes but what point what's the point is god i mean what what point is god trying to make here is god punishing them so that they would not do it again or is god punishing them so that they will be dead i don't know i don't know but it sounds like to me god is teaching them a lesson because you guys are not supposed to do this. If they're dead, they're dead. Meaning, they're dead and their judgment is done. Their salvation is over. That's what happens. Now, if they were making, so they're, let's say, in their young men in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they all come out and they make fun of the man of God who just became, took over Elijah's, Elijah's job, and they make fun of him. And two bears come out and scratches some people, and they got so scared. They ran away for their lives. Do you think they will do that again? <laughs> Godfrey says yes. <laughs> so they may be, they may be. But if you are attacked by bears, and if you got hurt, if you have scratches, if you have open wounds, you are bleeding, and you have to go and get stitches for that, I don't think you would do that again. <laughs> but I don't know what happened. Bible can go either way. Either they died or they got hurt or they got scared. It could mean, I mean, it says divide. What does that mean? It means break. What does that mean? 
Did they have broken bones? Did they have their flesh split open? Or did they have, I don't know what they had. But that one instance, it says dividing up soldiers, line, soldiers lined up, dividing up. That's what it means as well. So if you can imagine a whole bunch of people and bears go through them and scaring them or hurting them, and they got chased after the, day, uh, after the bears. So that's something that I think. Because let me ask you a question. Does God love these, two, these 42 people? Did Jesus die for these 42 people as well? Yes. At the same time, what happened to um, Homni and Phinehas when they played with the unholy fire? What happened? Fire came from the, the holy place and consumed them. They died instantly. But let's, let, let me remind you, these people who died with fire, what, were, what was their job? They were priests. Did they know they're not supposed to play with the fire? Yes. And they got killed instantly because they knew what was right and what was wrong. And they deliberately went against God's will. Yes, they died. They deserved to die. And not only that, uh, the camp Israelites were not supposed to even mourn for them because they were basically judged by God. Now, these kids or these young men, maybe older than some of you, who knows? <laughs> Whatever they have done, they were punished by God. But whether they died or not, we don't know. But they were punished. But basically, the city of Beth, uh, Bethel learned a lesson. Do you think the city of Bethel, people, from Be people in Bethel, do you think they made fun of Elisha again? I don't think so. I don't think so. They learned their lesson. If these young men and their families learn to respect God after this incident, wouldn't it be better that way than living, them living their lives in blasphemy? That's why God brought this judgment upon them. In the same way, if we are living a life of blasphemy, do you think God is going to send she-bears into our lives? Yes. If we are living a life of blasphemy, if we are living a life of mocking God, it is better for God to send she-bears to warn us so that we could change and we could learn. But if we don't learn, then it's probably better for, uh, for God to bring judgment upon us. What kind of life are you living? Is God a cruel God? Merciless God? Let me read the scripture reading for today one more time. The Bible says, Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be honest and repent. When God sent bears to these people, God loved them, rebuked them, disciplined them. If God didn't care, he didn't have to do that. But because God cared, God cared for the people who lived in Bethel, and he sent that judgment so they can learn and repent. Now, are we learning from this? Are we repenting? Are we being honest? Are we repenting? Because if we do not, 
God may send bears to us. Is it better to learn before the bears come? Is it better to learn after the bears come? If you learn, either way is good. <laughs> but if you learn before, it's better for you. But if you don't learn, it's better for God to send bears so we can learn and change. What's bad is that bears come and you still, we still do not learn. How many of you want to learn and be changed? I pray that we will learn the lesson and we will learn to respect God. And just keep in mind that God loves us and he wants to warn us so that we can be changed. How many of you want to be changed? Let us keep that in mind and let us respect God and his prophets and his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we learn from this rather difficult story that the story that non-Christians make fun of Christians, saying that God is a cruel God. But Lord, we have learned that from this story that God is loving, God wants us to repent and change. God cares for us. That's why you send judgment. You send warnings to us. So Lord, we pray that you would take heed and we will repent and we would respect to love God and his prophets and his word. If there's any hidden sins in our lives, if there's anything that you should send bears into our lives, help us to turn around, help us to learn, help us to repent, help us to go back to God. Please listen to us. Please change us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.